0: Listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Dynamic, Theatrical, Condensed. Elsnat Netzer is an Israeli composer, performer, and educator based in Chicago. As a performer, she plays piano and conducts mostly works by living composers. As a composer, her interests include composed theater, embodied cognition, and kinetic energy and potential. She loves tailoring her compositions to her performers, writing for the person rather than just the instrument that they play. Osnat is currently Assistant Professor of Composition and Musicianship at DePaul University. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, let's just start. So, uh, good to meet you. Um, I think think (laughs) Noah Evan was uh, the first person who kind of introduced mm-hmm. me to to your music you had uh, written a piece for patchwork and and we had patchwork at Ohio University and I think they I, I'm pretty sure they performed uh uh the piece you wrote for them at o u and uh yeah, so we're going to talk about a couple of uh a couple of your pieces, a couple of your chamber pieces tonight and uh I wanted to mm-hmm. start off with your piece consume by and uh this was written i read that this was written for saxophonist doug o'connor how did you meet uh doug and get connected with him
1: so i met doug o'connor in april 2018 uh in uh in tampa florida we were both uh at the usf new music uh, festival and i i just sent my piece uh, pillars for saxophone piano uh for their call for scores and it was accepted and Doug was going to play the piece. So he played my piece at the festival, and we became friendly, and, um, and I found out that he was going to go to Zagreb that summer to the Saxophone World Congress uh, to play other pieces, not, not mine, um, with a pianist that they provided there, I think. And I just suddenly thought, why don't I come to Croatia with you, and I play whatever pieces you need played with the piano that are not mine, and we also mm-hmm. played my piece. And and we did that. We we played in Croatia and um and that also led us to play the same piece at the on the Millennium stage at Candy Center in D C and and after that we just continued to collaborate.
0: That's awesome. Actually um I'm I I'm doing the same thing this year. I mean, I'm not going to Croatia with him, but, um, uh, but I also got into the USF thing and he's, he's playing, yeah, he's playing my nice. piece. So uh, I, haven't, I haven't met him yet, but, uh, but yeah, so <laughs> that's really interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. Coincidence. So, uh, so tell me the story, this piece that we're, we're talking about, Consumed By. Uh, tell me the story behind this piece. How did it come to be? Like, where did the instrumentation come from? What are kind of the driving forces behind this piece?
1: Sure. Uh, So, I I name most of my pieces long after I, well, right after I finish writing them. So the same is here. I didn't know it would be. No, actually, it it was a version of Consumed by while I was writing it. But I think this is just, you know, like a composer's dream because Doug said uh, I'm gonna do a commissioning project. Uh, with you and like for other composers and um, you know we'll get the money we'll we'll apply to this grant and this grant and you can write whatever you want with saxophone in it. (laughs) That is the dream yeah. (laughs) And I'm like "Um, are you sure? And it's like yeah. So I said well what if I tell you that I want to write for flute, clarinet, saxophone, trombone, percussion, piano, electric bass, and amplified cello. Is that okay? <laughs> and he said, sure. And I'm, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, several times. And he said, yeah. And and I think the only stipulation was that the piece not be, like, way too long. Um, I think 15 minutes was, like, the, the top. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I was, like, gorging myself on this, you know – Dream project, and thinking, I can do whatever I want and I can write for whoever I want. And not only that, it was great that he told me right away who the players are and got me you know their their info, their contact info so I can just like write to them and and Google them and find out what they do and listen to what they do. And many of the players uh, in the group that he put together are kind of assembled from different parts. Uh, were um, are in the army band, with him, okay. mm-hmm. and they have to do a lot of different things in the in the army band. Like sometimes they have to play classical music, sometimes they have to improvise and play jazz, and uh, and they just are beautiful crossover uh, musicians. So I really wanted to make sure that I'm writing for the person who you know who I'm writing for. And using their strength and and allowing them to to have some you know room for expressivity and and to think about their personalities and think yeah. about what, what would really work for for those people. So so we had Kenneth Cox on flute, who was you know he's not a jazz musician, but he improvises in other ways. So for every musician, I decided you know I can write you know I can write some aleatoric or improvisatory sections. Or maybe not. You know, I had uh-huh. I had to make a choice um, based on their experience. And so it was just a wonderful way to, to, to do something that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to, to find ways. I'm always interested in finding more ways to incorporate uh, freedom and, and improvisation and expressivity of the musicians and agency for the musicians. So so that's something that I was able to to work on here. I'm also like, I'm a big... Rhythm fiend. I just love playing with rhythm so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and so I thought, you know, I'm just gonna let my imagination run wild and see what what I really want to do. And I just I dug back to all the you know the rhythm things that fascinated me through my whole life, and I just you know deepened in them and you know had fun.
0: Now, as a pianist has improvisation kind of played a role in your uh you know your musical development as a pianist or or I mean certainly you've been like you said you've been looking for ways to incorporate it as a composer but has that been part of your own musical experience
1: yeah definitely yeah I I mean it's my first musical experience I always love to improvise even before I how to play stuff and knew how to compose stuff and it it was all mingled together i think that improvisation composition playing Mm
2: -hmm, those are
1: only separate things when we start to separate them but like when you're you know six years old seven years old they're all the same you're just playing playing means you know creating and so yeah i guess i guess they got divided later but that's that's
0: yeah yeah i can't imagine like a six-year-old you know, playing the piano, and then you say, "What are you doing?" Oh, I'm composing. Mm-hmm. No, like every everything is just playing, even though that, that's what they're doing, or they're improvising, mm-hmm. or or whatever. Yeah, that's it's a really interesting thing to think about how we kind of you know chop things up later when they perhaps don't need to be at all. And I think so many so many musicians would get, and I mean, obviously, this is like the ideal but so many musicians in high school college and beyond would get so much out of you know doing everything and i know that like you know yeah. people you know people don't have time or or you know people want to focus in on on certain things but you know i think there i think right now there's a lot of this idea that um you know we have to be super hyper focused and get out into the workplace immediately. And I, I feel like there's so many freshmen coming in, it's like, oh, I already know what I want to do and I only want to learn the things to get me to the place that I can get that job and do it. And I get it because it's like, you know, especially in the arts right now, you know, jobs aren't easy to come by. But at the same time, I also feel like, hey, maybe just learn a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Learn everything. <laughs> and then see see where it gets you. Yeah. So, that's interesting. Now, getting back to the, the players you were writing for, for this piece, um, that, that was one of the things that I noticed immediately is that you have to kind of have the right players. I mean, obviously this piece was written with these particular players in mind, but then like the next time this gets performed, <laughs> that's gonna be, <laughs> that's gonna be a search. <laughs>
1: you know, I have to think about, you know, do I, do I want this piece to be, like, limiting, you know, in terms of, like, will it live for only this one, um, one time? Uh, Or do I want to write something more universal that can be played lots of times? Mm -hmm. And the answer is both. You know, sometimes I just, I have to, I feel like I do my best work when I write for the, the specific players.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because, it's, you know, this, this is what inspires us. It's like what they bring to the table, their own character, their own, you know, life and, and experience and personalities. That to me is like way more inspiring than any like other, I don't know, extra musical topic I could think of.
0: Right, right. And, and in a way by like kind of capturing that musician's personality on the page to a certain extent you know obviously improvisation plays a big, plays a big role in this piece and aleatoric mm-hmm. uh processes play play a big role but you know with that with that intention in mind you're also like putting that forward to the next like round of musicians and you have this you know you have this recording that mm-hmm. can be referenced and see like oh well you know that's what was done could i do that same thing mm-hmm. do i have something else to bring to the table so I think you're just kind of furthering the, the discourse, yeah. you know, in in, uh, in musical, music performance, music improvisation, things like that. Mm-hmm. Theatrical was one of your adjectives. To what That's extent right. does theater affect this piece?
1: This piece? Yeah. Um, well, for me, theater is, um, at this point, it's not so much about creating a scenario or creating, you know or drama or narrative that is specifically theatrical. Mm -hmm. It's more about the bodies on stage and how they're moving and what they're doing. And thinking of the fact that when we're watching a performance, it's the body of the musician and what they're doing on stage is just as much part of the performance as the sound that we're hearing. So it means that sometimes I can make even small – You know, even small decisions that are um, that have to do with physicality or something that translates to a visual, um, to to some kind of new visual effect. Mm -hmm. In this in this piece, there isn't a lot of it. There was some. There's some of it that was supposed to be there and that didn't really come out in the video.
2: (laughs) For example,
1: the cellist is supposed to, for like the the wilder part of the piece, I guess he's supposed to like just pick up the cello and hold it like a guitar. Mm-hmm. And just strum it. <laughs> Which wasn't so possible when the cello is like an electric cello and just like a piece of you
0: know right, fingerboard
1: yeah. that didn't really make the same effect.
0: Right. So it doesn't it doesn't have the actual body, so there's like nothing yes. for him to rest on. So yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and I and I think I think that's that part of the of the piece that was supposed to be a bit wilder also was supposed to have a little more um you know junkyard kind of sound and feel from the percussion which Mm -hmm. you know that's something to work on for the next performance i think we need we need meaner pipes is what we need (laughs) need,
0: meaner pipes i like that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah as a as a percussionist myself i i think i know what you're talking about (laughs) yeah um the i i mean i also think that you know this piece because you are you know working directly with the the players you're writing for and because you know their background you're able to kind of draw on you know these different musical uh musical styles or you know different cultural references or or things Mm -hmm. like that and it you know it seems like that you kind of I mean, this might be just me interpreting, you know, or or imposing something onto your piece, but it really does seem like you kind of take us on a journey of uh, what improvisation can be mm-hmm. with this piece, and it really, you know, we we start out and kind of maybe that tradi- like I don't know if there, yeah, th- this is going to sound really weird, but it, it starts off in kind of that you know with more like traditional aleatoric sounds Mm -hmm. if that's even possible (laughs) which it's not but 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 then you know you go through you go through kind of noise textures and and jazz textures and you know things like that so uh, there I know that you're you're thinking about theater uh theater with the body but I also think there's some kind of like it's not necessarily it's not programmatic, but there is some amount of like storytelling that you're doing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think that thinking like really thinking about the players has me thinking of the instruments more as characters as well. Mm. And that also affects a lot of my music. So not not just in this piece, but in a lot of pieces I I tend to feel like, okay, this is this is the dynamic that I'm that I have with this person or that these people have together or that I'm imagining this person to have based on how I know them, Yeah. you know, there's a lot of imagined theater and, and psychological theater going on as well. Mm -hmm.
0: I love the middle section of this piece that, you know, has the multiple melodies kind of running concurrently kind of Mm -hmm. weaving in and out of each other. Um, For that section, like what's on the page for that section? Is that, is that, Written out, do you give like a melodic framework or or is it like all strictly notated
1: um when you're talking about when they're all playing at the same time like
0: yeah I think it's mess of stuff yeah i, th- I th- it's like m- several of the woodwind woodwind players are they have some kind of melody, and it seems like they're all ornamenting that melody maybe differently.
1: I think, I think, yeah, this is, this is all fully notated what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is all fully notated. And actually it's, it's quite simple. It, that section. It's just, um, I, I left a lot of, I, I you know, I left pitches just out there, just like doing their thing, you know, not really, uh, like the page actually looks pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's not so simple about it is just the concept of of what I, um, I call this fractal polyrhythm where you have um, someone just playing, you know, three quarters in a three, four bar, but they're grouping every four quarters together. So they have a big four, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. You know, if, um, so the, the 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 bars are a three four, but the grouping of notes is a four, and then you have someone who's playing four over three, but highlighting groups of three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the three is playing the four, and the four is playing the three, and yeah, this kind of thing. And then and then I start to find all these other mathematical relationships, and and I, and I base this whole section on those uh, on those fun fractal relationships.
0: And that's how you get it kind of sounding the way it does where it you know basically it it seems like everyone's supposed to be doing the same thing but everyone's just kind of a little bit a little bit rhythmically off or there's a little different ornamentation and it's kind of that um uh heterophany Mm -hmm. type of sound yeah and I love I love textures like that because um you know I I was in a master class with uh Kaya Sariajo at one point Mm -hmm. And um, you know, she was talking about her music, and honestly, I can't even remember if she was the one that said this at this point. But it's what I wrote down in my notebook um, at that moment. But basically, like, no solo is ever a solo. There's always like, you always have like uh, multiple instruments working together to create this line. But that line can be very textured and, and complex. And I think that's, you know, in in this that's. Uh, kind of a similar thing that you've created for me Mm -hmm. that that line that's super textured and layered but it is a line Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: well let's listen to it now okay so who are the performers that we're going to hear on this recording
1: so we have Kenneth Cox on flute uh Benjamin Bocor on clarinet and bass clarinet Doug O'Connor soprano and baritone saxophone Omar de Jesus trombone, Benjamin Wenzel on electric cello, Daniel Campollieta on piano, Jacob Harster percussion, Zach Pride electric bass, and I'm conducting this one.
0: Awesome. So this is Consume By You never actually uh, talked about the title for that last piece. You said mm-hmm. that you know titles can sometimes come like way after the fact, but in mm-hmm. this particular one, it seemed like you were kind of working with some some type of consumed by or or mm-hmm. some kind of derivation. What is what does that title mean for you?
1: Oh, uh, okay. How I got to this title is actually fun. So I was working with a lot of different interpretations of the word beat. And you know, thinking about beat as then the beats you get from two pitches that are really close together and they're beating together, or mm-hmm. you know, beats as a pulse, or you know, lots of different things to think about, um, ways to think about beat. And then, and then I thought about, um, and then, and then I just looked at the word beat. And I don't know why it's you know, when you're composing, your mind is just like in yeah. a weird place. <laughs> and i was like i took the b and i put it next to the eat, and i was like eat the b why i don't know i don't know why <laughs> eat the b i i don't know and then it was like and then it was like eat b consume, by or consume it, it was at first it was consumed by and then i thought oh actually consume by has more meanings because you can think of oh expiration date like is this an imperative or is this um you know, some something that, you know, someone is consumed by something, right? Really. Yeah, it had the metaphor of, con, of even being consumed by something was was appealing. So then it just became a fun thing. And then taking into account the fact that this was like a gorging on the, all of the riches of, yeah. you know, these talents, these amazing people. It just, you know, I kept it.
0: Yeah, awesome. So let's talk about your other piece that Mm -hmm. we're going to listen to and this is they bury their dead with great ululations
1: Uh (laughs) uh-huh
0: did i say that right
1: i think you can say ululations and you can say ululations i think both are correct okay research that
0: (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna go with what i said because now i can't remember which one it was (laughs) 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 um so uh, this piece is for oboe, bass, clarinet, violin, and cello. Again, mm-hmm. I really like the instrumentation here. Um, the oboe, I feel like, rarely makes it into mixed chamber uh, settings. Yeah. So how did that choice get made, or, or was that choice made for you?
1: This was another dream project. So in this case, uh, I knew who the players were. This is Windsor Music uh it's it's an ensemble in boston and this is their instrumentation so you want to write a piece for them this is probably what you're going to get sometimes they have guest performers sometimes they have Stephen Drury on piano sometimes they have other awesome people these are some of the best players in boston yeah so again it's like oh why don't you just like write a piece for these crazy amazing musicians (laughs) you've always wanted to work with and get paid and we'll play your music so you know why not
0: yeah so how did you how did you get connected with them were you in boston at that point or yeah
1: i live in i lived in boston for 15 16 years okay that, that was the longest time i've ever lived anywhere and i just recently moved to chicago from there and so these are just players that i've known for for years and randy moore the bass clarinetist uh she she's played my music before um, she's like a badass clarinetist who mm-hmm. plays with Tally Ensemble in New York and, um, crazy good. So I, I've known her also personally. then I, I also, um, I got her to play in another piece that I wrote for Harvard University, uh, that was, um, Irrefutable Tautologies. I, I hired her to play in that ensemble. So we'd work together. So, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think... They they decide who to commission as a group, and I'm uh-huh. just glad that they thought of me. I've I've known these people for a, for a while. Um, Peggy Pearson, the oboist in this group, um, again she's just she's a Boston you know staple. She's just she plays Bach like no other oboist uh-huh. plays Bach you know. And and then she's worked also a lot with uh, John Harbison and played a lot of his oboe music and she has just some you know the gore, the most gorgeous oboe sound that i've ever heard yeah um, and Gabadia's violin and rafael Kaiser, again just like amazing string players who i've i've been to maybe i don't know 30 40 50 concerts where they play you know before mm-hmm. even this happened so you know you, you 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 live in a place long enough you get to pee, to meet awesome people
0: yeah and I think that I I mean I think that's really good like you know things to think about for for composers out there it's just like just be in the scene you exactly. know go to concerts hang out with people yeah. you know get to know them as as people and you know I'm I'm assuming that you know when you were just meeting them you weren't running up to them and saying oh play my piece play my piece play my piece you know it was just like
2: That's right.
0: Yeah, let the relationship develop and then Things like this can happen. So that exactly, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah,
1: that's what I tell all com- you know composers that I that I talk to, friend composers, students. It's like don't don't go and think you're supposed to network. Go and make friends with no agenda and just like get to know people and be out there and listen to people and be supportive of your peers and don't just make friends with someone that you think can help you out. Make yeah. friends with anyone that you want to make friends with. Like don't even think about. What you will get out of it, because yeah. that's you don't want to live like that. That's not a good living.
0: No. So for this piece, what, do, where does the title come from? Was that was that just something you came up with, or 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 is this like t- title taken from somewhere, or is it referencing yeah. something?
1: This is taken from. This is a quote from one of the earliest uh, uses of the word elations. I just I love the Oxford English Dictionary. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> you can find, I just, you know, you could just read about words, etymologies, you know, into the night. Yeah. It's it's just marvelous. And when I finished writing this piece, and I wrote this piece really fast. I think maybe like two condensed weeks or something or three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, super fast. And And, and as soon as I was done with it, it's just what struck me the most about it was the sense that, you know, there is a lot of, a lot of it feels like a cry, but you don't know if it's a cry of joy or a cry of mourning. Yeah. And that was what I loved about when I, when I looked up the word "eulation," I was like, yes, this is amazing. Cause I thought the ulations were just like, Da-da-da-da-da. this mm-hmm. thing you make in weddings, you know, the sound you make, you know, when yeah. you're happy in weddings. I thought that's what it meant. And then I saw that one of the earliest, earliest, um, meanings or uses of this word was in this in this um phrase i think it's like the the history of england it's from 1730s i think Mm -hmm. and or history history of ireland or something and yeah so this the the line they bury their dead with great ululations um you know it was it was talking about uh funeral traditions in ireland And that the fact that they had these women who um, they hired to mourn and and cry and, you know, tear their hair out. Right, yeah. (laughs) Which is something that you hear, like, you don't think that, oh, this is an Irish tradition. You think, oh, this is like a biblical tradition. Like, I know about this from, like, the Bible and stuff. And so, I was like, wow, this this kind of tradition of hiring women to cry – at funerals, I didn't even know how widespread that was. Yeah. And the fact that they call that ululation as well, as what we you know, call this Kululu of wedding, wedding wail, whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. that was just like so evocative and, and wonderful. And, and I thought that idea of ululation having those two, con- two connotations was very fitting for this piece. Because I don't know, as I was writing it, I don't know if I was laughing or crying, <laughs> probably it, both
0: well does that have something to do with the very condensed time period that you that you wrote the piece over
1: <laughs> i think it may be that i started it on yom kippur okay <laughs> and it was all it's already in that place of like a tournament. yeah and you know you're thinking about your sins and about your well, not really sins, but the, the people you've wronged and the things mm-hmm. you want to do better and um, coming to terms with yourself. And I think that that's, that had something to do with it, just like yeah. when I started writing it.
0: Sure. Yeah, um, I really, you know, we, we kind of talked about rhythm a little bit in the last one, but I really, really appreciate your rhythmic sense in this piece. It kind of plays with being on and off the grid in a really wonderful way. I mean, is this... Is this a product of more kind of gestural writing or or are you also kind of thinking about like you kind of mentioned in the last one, you know really invoking different time strains? Mhm
1: yeah, I think it's both. I think what you said like on grid off grid is something that I'm really interested in. Um, you know it's 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 really wonderful to feel that off, but in order to, in order to feel that yeah. off, you need them to, to know what's the on. So I just like playing with those perceptions. So one of the things that I do a bunch is just um, um, metric modulation. Mm -hmm. It's just something I really like exploring because I, I really love the idea of like how your body gets into a groove, into a certain tempo, and you can feel that tempo. And no matter who you are, even if you're not a musician, there is a process of mimicry that happens in your brain where you're just kind of embodied in that. Um, tempo Mm -hmm. uh, or that pulse right and then with metric modulation you're taking something that comes from that pulse and then turning that into a new pulse and for me that feeling of like the ground taken you know off beneath your your feet and Mm -hmm. you're falling but you're falling onto something else you know you're not just falling but you're, you're caught by something I, that, that suddenness or that feeling like, how did that happen? You know, I was here and now I'm there. What, what, you know, what's going on? So that's something that I like to play with.
0: You just reminded me of, um, of this thing that happens to me from time to time. I don't know if it happens to anyone else, but, um, there will be times, you know, maybe like in the car or something where, you know, I'll have music turned on you know, just like pop music or something. Music is turned on in the car, but you know, like traffic is really loud or something, and I can't really hear the music all that well, and it's a, a new song comes on, and that we don't have like drums yet to like mm-hmm. tell us exactly where the beat is. And maybe I miss the first beat or something, and my brain kind of hears it, and like implies a beat onto mm-hmm. whatever music I'm hearing, and then, you know, I get, like you say, you kind of get, you feel that pulse, you get into that pulse. And then all of a sudden the drums come in and I realize I've been feeling like the and of four as one <laughs> or something like that. And all of a sudden exactly. your entire world kind of shifts. And it's, I love, I it, it's a weird thing, but I love that feeling of where, yeah. you know, and it's not something that I feel like can be produced you know like those those moments they just happen because i i because i love those those moments so much i often like try to go and like oh can i just hear it wrong so i get that feeling mm-hmm. of like ooh when the right comes in it's like this big shift and i don't know where i am for a second yeah. but it's uh yeah yeah so that that kind of playing with on the grid off the grid and then the grid kind of itself shifting mm-hmm. is uh is something that you're you're really into in this piece I think that 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 was uh that was really kind of later on in the piece you have um these what what seemed to be and you know uh, just listening and not looking at the score they seem to be pretty pretty straight rhythms in the in the strings but also they're straight rhythms that don't line up. So it's like we can I could interpret those as like oh that's like three quarters in a row or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't line up with what, you know, the 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 winds are doing or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it creates this really great like rhythmic tension. Mhm.
1: Yeah. Well heard. <laughs> um Yeah, I think you're talking about the section that I I I call that. I think I call that section cantata because Again, I was kind of inspired by Peggy Pearson's, you know, playing of all these Bach cantatas, and just so so that was, you know, almost almost just a, just a tribute to that. Yeah. Um, but in cantatas, you often will have, you know, it's 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 quite homophonic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the idea of, you know, even when you're writing something homophonic, where where there's like, oh, these chords on in the in the strings, or maybe sometimes the Um, Or maybe the chords are in all the instruments and then suddenly one instrument kind of steps out and says, no, no more. I want to I want to have a solo, you know. So so that's kind of what I'm playing with in that section is the idea of like, oh, yeah, we can all pretend to, you know, to want to work towards the same goal. But then we also want to be individuals and step out. So these solos keep getting longer and longer and longer until we kind of, you know, roll around back to. The material of the of the beginning of
0: the piece yeah how are you how are you working through pitch in this piece? I mean it it seems like there are certain kind of pillars mm-hmm. throughout the piece where you're where you're kind of you're getting to a certain pitch that's then treated timbrally um you know or or instrumental mm-hmm. uh, or or orchestrationally mm-hmm. uh by the ensemble so kind of how are you getting from place to place is this kind of intuitive method of working through pitches atonally or is there some kind of system you're working through
1: um i think with a lot of things a lot of pieces i i kind of just uh i sit and look for sounds and sometimes those sounds are chords and i think for this piece i had 13 chords and and once i and i usually come up with these sounds intuitively, and then I start analyzing them and start to see what can I do with them and what what do they want to do? How do they want to be organized? Um, Like if if it's a set of chords, like 13 chords, then I'll think about, well, what would be a logical progression with these chords and which chords kind of feel like they're contrasting to me and which chords feel like they're from the same family and I'll kind of label them or organize them in different ways, I'll voice them in different ways and a lot of the times, that's that's going to be what I look for, what I look at when I'm looking for pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this piece kind of starts more um, with just kind of like one one pitch being explored, and that's another that's another oboe thing. Um, you know, the barrio uh, sequence for for oboe it just has this drone B the whole the whole time. It's like a it's like a, a sound of an oboe basically. And, uh, on top of which the oboe plays. So I think also just starting with that same B from the Sequenza that was another thing that was kind of like a wink to to Peggy. And yeah. I used to, I, I played oboe for like a few months in high school and my uh-huh. teacher, um, this wonderful um, German woman who was living in Jerusalem, uh, she, I, I came to her house a couple of times for lessons, for my oboe lessons, and she had this huge uh blown up uh various of score on her wall and that made the hugest impression on me yeah that's when i was 15 so you know this this wow. is kind of ties together to to some of that
0: and at 15 had you heard the the sequenza or did you hear it after kind of looking at the looking at the score and like oh wow that that crazy notation is music <laughs>
1: That that's when I was fifteen. Was when I was introduced to a lot of new music, to the the whole the whole world of contemporary music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, until then I thought that contemporary music was like Prokofiev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until <of course>. like <laughs> right. fourteen, fifteen, and then I was like, oh, there's all this other stuff that I, yeah, I I didn't know what to make of it. I can't say I fell in love with it immediately. Sure, that would be a lie. I was like, oh, there's this thing. I'm intrigued yeah you know still still intrigued
0: yeah so um getting back to your uh you know the third the 13 chords um in you know you you were talking about the end of the piece is kind of cantata like and you were that was a kind of nod to peggy pearson the oboe player and her her playing bach so these chords are you also kind of like thinking contrapuntally as you organize them, you know, how does mm-hmm. one kind of go to the next? And then, I mean, yeah,
1: I'm kind of obsessed with voice leading. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: so, and I'm assuming that, you know, if you're, if you're working with these chords, are those chords also, that's where you're deriving your melodic material from as well?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Every Everything in this piece is basically derived from these, from these chords. But you know what, I'm, I, th- this kind of approach really varies for me. Sometimes I feel like, oh, it's really nice to have a system, and let's have a system. And sometimes I feel like I don't want to be bogged down by a system. Sometimes it feels so limiting. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, why, why do we do this? Why do we need everything to come from the same place, from the same like, logical place? And why do we need to be able to tie everything back to an organized source? Why can't we be a little more free? And the thing is, you know, of course, of course, you can be very free when you're like older and you've had so much experience with all these kinds of ways of thinking about sound and organizing sound. Um, In a way, I feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe this is inspired by Elliot Carter, Uh who when, um, when he was 102, when I met him, (laughs) And that that was at Tanglewood, and we had uh, all of the composition fellows and a few other guests. We had a little closed ses- session with him just to meet mm-hmm. him, and and my friend Bill McNally asked him, he, and he's a pianist, but he asked uh, Carter, uh, "What's the difference for you, you know, composing in the last like twelve years since you were ninety, and and like all the years leading up to that?" Yeah, because because Carter was more. Um, he was more prolific from age ninety to one hundred and two than oh up until that time. You know, and that's, that's Carter, right? That's yeah. amazing. So and he said um he said that he just doesn't have the inner critic anymore. <laughs> or they yeah. don't listen to the inner critic anymore. One of those. But but that was like I feel like in a sense we're all kind of striving towards that. We're striving towards a place where we don't have to be to feel like we're bogged down by anything where things feel like they stem from, from us, from ourselves, from the world, from our bodies, from our minds, without it having to go through the filter of, you know, having to justify every single choice we make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, kind of getting back to your point of sometimes it's easy, like, sometimes you feel like you want there to be a system. Sometimes you want there that you want to give yourself room and you want to give yourself freedom and really not I, I mean I I totally get where you're coming from because I'm I'm uh I I'm kind of coming out of this period myself where, you know, it uh I I was working in a certain way and I've kind of followed that uh, followed those techniques, I think, as far as they can go for right now, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of coming out of it and opening myself up to a lot of different ways of composing, and the the me from the last, you know, four or five years is, like, you know, kind of scared because there's no system, there's no safety net, but the me of, like, right now is kind of excited because... um I've kind of looked at my music in the last you know I've looked at what's I've really been excited by that I've written mm-hmm. in the last like seven years or so, and they are things that kind of tow they tow lines, you know mm-hmm. they're neither this nor that. If there was a system there was there were times when I ignored it. If there was no system there were there were times when i like you know wrote a max patch to get myself some <laughs> rhythms or pitches or something just because at that, on that particular day I wasn't feeling it and I wanted mm-hmm. to get something on the page. And I think that, you know, kind of as composers, just kind of giving ourselves some grace, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you say, nothing – not everything has to be – we don't have to write a dissertation about okay. our music, you know. We don't have to defend it. Mm-hmm. Um It is – you know, it's ultimately, it's just art, art, art with a big A. So
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think the key word is also like justify, what are we justifying here? And who are we justifying to? Yeah, right. Like we, we need to know, yeah, I, th- I think a composer wants to know uh, why they made a certain decision. Mm-hmm. But then the answer to that, why can be because that was the right pitch, or because that was what the piece needed at the moment, or because I'm working with this set of algorithms, and this is what they where they led me. Or, you know, like we want to know that we have a reason, because mm-hmm. we're kind of, you know, that's that's what humans kind of do. Um, but then we don't. I don't think that we need to to worry about like, you know, what happens if this person asks me asks me about yeah. stitches, and do I have to justify to that person? So, you know, I I'm I'm no longer worried about that so much. Yeah. Because I feel like also the bigger questions in music are deeper. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like the choices we make about, about form are, and what form means, the the way we define form in any given piece of music is the biggest, you know, the the biggest question of all.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, our, our medium in In writing music are the like the the foundational medium is time and mm-hmm. how we carve up that time and how we control pacing and you know the the audience's memory mm-hmm. in inside of the piece I mean that is that's what makes that's what makes a piece great is you know. Being able to kind of look at your materials, but s- express those materials in time mm-hmm. how they need to be expressed to really connect.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, let's listen to this piece. So, um, again, the title is They Bury Their Dead with Great Utilations. I totally butchered that word, but. No, that was correct. <laughs> oh, okay. There's
1: more no than one way to say this word. <laughs>
0: I, I at least got one of them. Good. <laughs> so, you <got> uh, both. <laughs> so right. So uh, let's uh, let's hear the performers who are who are going to be on this recording again.
1: So we have Peggy Pearson on oboe, Ronnie Moore on bass clarinet, Gabriela Diaz on violin, and Raphael Popper Kaiser on cello.
0: Thank you. We've come to the last question that I always ask all the composers and artists who have been on the podcast. Um, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life?
1: I, I think I just got addicted and more addicted and more addicted. I think I just, you know, like a lot of people, I I liked music when I was a kid and I think I, I think I'm more than liked it. I think I always loved music,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but... As soon as I started to to study multiple classes of music at the same time when I had, you know, chamber music and recorder classes and piano classes and then I started taking, you know, hist- music history, music theory, the more the more I took, the more I learned about music, the more I wanted to to learn about music. It just became such a, you know, obsessive thing and i never I never really had to stop and make a choice and ask myself what do I want to be? Mhm it was just very obvious
0: it was a very natural progression even even when you were young i i i mean i I like the what you're saying basically like you opened a door and that led to other doors, and each one was kind of easier to open because you had all this prior knowledge
1: yeah, and also just you just this idea that the more you know, the more you know, you don't know
2: mm-hmm. Yes.
1: For, for a change. It didn't that kind of thing. I, I, I think I kind of realized that early on, that with music, I'll never be able to know everything. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, it, it kind of saddened me that I'll never know everything there is to know about music. On the other hand, it told me if I do music, I'll never run out of things to learn.
0: That's a really optimistic way to look at that. That's, that's, that's young beautiful. Me. <laughs> that was young me. <laughs>
1: Talking about like age, you know, 12, 13, 14.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, that's awesome. Well, uh, before we go, can you tell people uh, if they liked what they heard, where they could go find more of your music to listen to? And if they wanted to connect with you like on social media or something, where could they do that?
1: Yeah, I have a website. It's my name, and you can find a lot of recordings and videos on that. Um, I have a SoundCloud, but all of my SoundCloud things are also on my website. Uh, You can connect with me there. You can connect with me on Facebook, um, Instagram. Um, I do have a Facebook professional page that will have updates about things. I think my website is the best place, and if they want to contact me directly, Um, there's also a contact, um, uh, link on my website. So that's the best place.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.